I'll tell you something I love about being in France, in addition to some seriously delicious butter, and that is the wide selection of wines I can find in France for low prices. It can be much more difficult to source those same bottles back in the States, and that's why I love to buy wines out of France with Ideal Wine. I have bottles shipped to me, hassle-free. It's easy. Ideal Wine has a new auction every week and is a great source for iconic names like Ouette, Louis Roeder, and Domaine Lefleve, as well as rising stars like Arnaud Lachaud, Gonon, and Tissot. Find the wines you'd rather be drinking at idealwine.com. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com and have the wine shipped to you in the States. Use the promo code FIRST, F-I-R-S-T, for $15 off your first order of $150 or more. Hey, that's $15 you could save, and that is some good butter money. See for yourself at Ideal Wine. I'm Levy Dalton, and this is All Drink to That, where we get behind the scenes of the wine business. We gave you part one of our in-depth and really interesting conversation with Richard Betts. And in that part one, we covered how he got started in a business. Part two, which you'll hear shortly, we talk about the projects that he developed outside of being a sommelier, of which there have been many in different parts of the world in both wine and liquor. And then we touched the dreaded orange wine topic towards the end. Make sure you listen all the way through. So you did pass, uh, you got your MS, and you're at the Little Nell. Yes. And then you decided to give it a rest. You said, hey, I've been here eight years, and I want I want someone else to have these keys. Absolutely, yeah. So uh, that time frame, there was a five-year span between the time I passed and the time I left. When I did pass, I did, I went, I went to them, and they were just like, oh, you're going to quit. I was like, I'm not going to quit. It's actually a common thing, you know, people pass there whatever it is they're doing and they quit. And they go is, to the big metropolitan area. Or go work for a distributor or whatever oh, okay. it is. Yeah, get off the floor. And that's and that's fine. You know, there's there's no wrong decision. For me, uh I wasn't done being on the floor. And uh but I did I did go to um to uh, my boss at the Nell and I said, "Look, you know, I don't I won't ask you for any more money ever. I just also need the fall shoulder season off." It was like spring. They didn't lock the door, but nobody was there. Um, so, you know, it's game on all summer long, game on all winter long, but spring and fall, the mud seasons, I just got out. And um, and that was that was a moment where I thought, you know, it's one thing to read about it and uh, understand it you know, academically, but it's another thing to actually go and, and get dirty. So let's let's go make some wine. And whereabouts that period did you meet Mr. Scholl? So I got to know Dennis uh, in Aspen uh, at the Nell was a guest and um, as I mentioned uh, both uh, Mona who studied art history and um, is a part-time photographer um, and she was shooting some photographs uh, doing some photography at that time that uh, Dennis was very very um, kind to give her advice and think about it with her et cetera et cetera because he collected art yep exactly he remains uh, he's yep very involved in the art world contemporary art world so um, 
So Dennis, uh, he was, he was, uh, we were just friends, frankly. Yeah, and then I was showing Drinking him, buddies in a way. Like yeah, drinking buddies. Professional drinking, drinking buddies. buddies. And uh, he's also a runner. Um, so we, would, we traveled to Pikes Peak together. Um, we both ran the marathon in 2003, you know, up and down Pikes Peak. And, um, and uh, one summer afternoon, we were uh, foraging for mushrooms. I was showing him, you know, how to find, uh, you can find chanterelle and uh, seps in the hills above Aspen. I didn't know that. Yeah. You got to be at about 10,000 feet, generally on a south-facing slope, always in the pines, never in the Aspen sure, trees, et cetera, et cetera. And, and uh, we were talking about it, and I said, you know, this is this is what I'm doing. This is what I've decided to do. And he's like, well, I want to do it with you. It's like, great, let's do this. He was like, I want to do wine thing with you. I wanna, yeah. We'll make wine together. Yeah. So he said, let's take 10 grand and, and see if we can figure this out. Because 10 grand doesn't sound like a ton of money. No, I mean, I mean it sounds like money, but not yeah. a lot. If you're saying like I'm not to start a business, do some wine, yeah, make some wine yeah. for ten grand. Yeah, it's it's hard. Yeah, um, Dennis could not have been a better partner to me. You know, a partner I learned is someone that you wake up every morning and think about how to make their life better. That's a good partner. It's not. It's not anything. If it doesn't start with that, then it's fundamentally flawed, right? You need to wake up every morning and think about how am I going to do right by my partners. Just needs to just needs to come naturally, and, and I learned that from him. Was it the kind of partnership where you guys just kept reinvesting back in the business, all the way back into it, which which was huge? You know, we, um, yeah, that, that's that's definitely something I'm really proud of. Thank you. Um, I, I'm proud of that because it's not like oh, I'm going to start this business and and start whatever pulling X, Y, and Z out of it, and and. Um, and now, now I can do that. You know, you, you create a we we started a larger scale, and you you create work for yourself in that in that fashion. But at the time, it's like we don't know if this is going to work. We want to build something, so let's put our toe in the water financially instead of you know like whatever. You know, there's eight eight million other ways to do it. But how long was it before you drew a salary for six years? Yeah, six years. And you were supporting yourself off the Nell. So I was working at the Nell. Founded three companies. While at the Nell, so um, Betts and Scholl, mm -hmm. and then Scarpetta, which so you founded with Bobby, with I founded with Bobby and, and his chef partner Lachlan McKinnon Patterson and Dennis Scholl, and founded Sombra with Charles Beeler, which uh, was your mezcal project yeah. in Mexico. Yep, exactly. Uh, seven years ago, we started that, and um, so doing all these things, and there are no days off. Uh, but again, that that comes back to that same pattern I see in myself where. You know, if I had to work five days, I would stack it. So you'd you'd work five days, then you'd have your weekend, but then you'd back up the next week weekend right against it. So you had four days together. Oh, okay. And then you'd work. Just thinking about being smart. Tens and fours. Yeah, exactly. So with those four days, it wasn't four days to screw around. It was four days to get on an airplane and go yeah. somewhere. Sleep on the plane. Absolutely. Yeah, sleep on the plane. And um, and it's it's hustle. It's something I love. You know. So, so you must not have known right away what you were going to do when you said, "Hey, I want to make wine." No, so I had no idea. <laughs> where did that take you? That that thought. The thought was, if no, if uh, I, I always come back to this to this woman her name is Mrs. Pritcher, and she was my seventh grade German teacher, and uh, boy, she was a bitch. Uh, <laughs> I walked in the first day. I was like. I hate this and I hate you and I'll take the D and it won't affect my life. I just don't care, you know? And, um, and, and that was just, it was a great moment. It took me all the way till my adult life to realize that I was responding to, to something I didn't like. And, and in a very, I think for me, important way, doing the right thing. 
You know, like, I don't like it. I'm going to do this poorly. So therefore, let's do what we like to do because you'll do it well. Oh, okay. And so applying that to let's make wine, it was we have to make something that we love, right? And I love wines that appeal to your Pinot sensibility. And that's, I think everybody has this sensibility for wines that can be sexy and supple and seductive and all the good S words, right? This, that's, that's something that I think... I think everybody has it. I don't know. And it and ultimately didn't matter, but I had that. But at that time, when I was thinking about this- um, 10 Pino, grand wasn't buying you Pinot. But similarly, Pinot was an overindulged princess. Oh, okay. You know, and that was really the deal. It's like, okay, yeah, everybody loves Burgundy. That's probably not a place for me to go and try to strike out and start something, you know, with 10 grand or even in general, you know, because what, what could it grow to become? You know, probably nothing. Um, you know, very, very small thing. And that's fine. That's fine too. But that's, you know, I think we were both thinking that we wanted to, to, there, there are lots of elements to the exercise and, you know, it's, it's not that hard to go and make 200 cases of something somewhere and just say, well, that's what we're going to do. But you know that now, but and did I, you know that right away? Uh, I did not know that right away, but I did have, you, you, I am pretty good at thinking four or five steps down the line. Yeah. I actually want to be a better chess player because I'd like to I'd like to understand how those people think about those things and react to what other people are doing because I think that that's very similar to how I think about what I do, you know, in in my own work. And um and so I wouldn't say we knew exactly that at that time or with that clarity or in one sentence able to articulate it, but I th I think we did have an idea that well, where do you go? You know, you're kind of boxed in and, and, and the, it's already all spoken for. And right? you weren't going to sacrifice your own joy to be part of the wheel. You yeah, wanted to do not. something that you found. Because it's easy with the service game and, mm -hmm. and also businesses where people uh, people kind of oversubscribe to them, you know? Like absolutely. everybody wants to be in that job where people sign up for gigs that really aren't that lovely, but just because they want to be in the industry that it exactly. is. Exactly. And then they start to hate it a little bit, but you didn't yeah. sign up for that. You signed no. up for having some fun time. Absolutely. Yeah, having some fun time. And I thought, you know, if no one is going to drink this, I have to be able to drink it all. So we got to make something we like. Which and is probably a pretty key insight. I think so. I mean, I really think so. The first thing we made was 400 boxes of, of Grenache. And, and what led you to that? You know, it's two things. One was the Pinot sensibility, right? And so what, what else appeals to that same sensibility? Lots of things. Nebbiolo, Sangiovese in the right hands. Um, Grenache, which you know, my contention back then is that it's, it was the warm climate analogy of Pinot Noir. Um, Thin-skinned, light red varietal, despite some of the purple stuff we see these days. I don't like those either. First it was orange wines, next one's going to be purple. No, I'm just, <laughs> and I'm you just had, messing. You had maybe some but, Reyes? Yeah, yeah, a lot of Reyes, exactly. But okay, but you know, Reyes is in the buttonhole and the, allegedly the sand extends into to Vaudu, their neighbor, mm -hmm. a little bit. But you know, that's kind of it. And we know that the sand is the magic there. That's a big part of what makes Reyes Reyes is the sand. Um, so we looked all around the world and we found these amazing uh, sand-grown Grenache vineyards in the Barossa Valley of Australia that nobody cared about. Got it. Absolutely not. I mean, it was, and people were like, you, you drink French wine. What are you going down there for? I was like, because there's great raw material and, and I want to see what it can be. Um, even the Australians weren't into it. You know, I remember getting down there and getting off the plane and, and Sparky Marquis, uh, his wife was really sweet. She, she picked me up the very first, first time I got there and, and, uh, 
and dropping off the hotel. And then Sparky's like, Grenache, what do you want to make Grenache for? It doesn't have any color. It doesn't have any flavor. You know, it's like perfect. <laughs> this is awesome. I'm in the right spot. Well, they used to say that about Pinot yeah, exactly. a long time ago. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And well, that, at that point, I was like, okay, this, this, this is that we're starting to get to that place where opportunity and enthusiasm intersect. And that's where you want to work. It's like cheap rent. Yeah, like, exactly. Hey, I'm really excited about this neighborhood. Everyone else doesn't seem to really care about it, but I'm going to live here because this rent's cheap and it works for me. Exactly. It's just like that. So, um, you know, if you were a farmer down there, you you likely had vines that your grandfather or your great-grandfather planted, and there would be some Semillon, and there'd be some Shiraz, and there'd be some Cabernet, and there'd be some Grenache, general mix, um, sometimes some Mataro. And everybody wanted the Shiraz. And so if you if you wanted the Shiraz, oftentimes the farmers say, well, you also have to take the Grenache. You right. know? And then so they'd you know, piss and moan and kick the dirt and say, oh, okay, right? And then they would come and they'd pick it way too early and then just perpetuate their own myth, right? You know, it's mm -hmm. just like, it's the last thing to physiologically ripen down there, but it's the first thing everyone picks because they just want to get it out of the way. Right, so they can right? be ready for the big Shiraz. Exactly, like right? Have all their guys ready. Totally, and so I go down there and it's like, I just want the Grenache and there's like, what? What? <laughs> exactly. Welcome, why don't you sit down? Hey, can we get you anything to drink? Hey. Amazing, so... um you know, the youngest material we worked with there was 80 years old. Yeah, and, old, and that's not every day. Oh, my God. And the oldest was over 100, and it was growing out of sand that looked like the beach. And it's like, okay, let's let's try to figure something out with this. Which and, is um, probably why it was still there, because it didn't get phylloxera, because it was sandy. Exactly. And it was Australia, yeah, that's where the, they had quarantine. Exactly. That's the first part, is that the sand prevents the phylloxera. The second part is that they had a real love for stickies, for yeah. these oh, you know, port-style right. right. wines. And so sure. much like Zinfandel, this country, the old vineyards owe their existence to the white Zinfandel craze, or it all would have been pulled up and planted in Merlot, right? Um, Grenache owes its existence, those old vineyards owe their existence to the port wine industry down there. You know, Chambers. And exactly, so, yeah. right. So because if you just leave it out there forever, it gets real ripe, right? You know, overripe, of course. And um, But it makes for great fortified wines. So they kept the vineyards as, as around. As a known venue. Exactly, as a known venue, exactly. So um, we're down there and, and uh, great mentorship. Uh, I was very, very lucky to, to work. Um, Who'd you come across? I uh, came across Chris Ringland. Ah, and, heard of him. Yeah. Yep. And uh, Chris was awesome. I, I had uh, the flu and he drove me uh, to meet a, a young guy named Christian Canute at Rusden. Um, oh yeah, Rusden was great for Grenache. Yeah. Those are some good Grenache. They're great. And I think they're coming back into America, which I'm excited about. Them. Oh, were they, they out for a while? They I haven't checked in for It was that whole Grateful Palace detonation. Oh, got it. He had good stuff. I mean, yeah. in there. Yeah. Know, not everything. But, not everything, you know. but some good stuff. Um, yeah, I used to used to work with the old Rosen Grenache. Had yeah. that kind of earthy exactly. characters yeah. on the edge, leathery. So so both uh, Christian and Chris came um, out of Rob McDonald at uh, Rockford. And Rockford's oh, okay. just as Back, traditional. Basket press. Exactly. As traditional as that stuff gets down there. And I mean, it's you're there and you might as well, you feel like you're in old Europe at that point. I mean, mm -hmm. it's very... Very focused. There's nothing spoof-related. It's all really intense, soil-driven stuff. I'm like, sure, it's sunny out. Of course, it's going to be ripe, but it's but it's very, very tertiary and focused, and and um, you know things aging in you know eighty-year-old great big wood vessels. I mean, really cool, cool things happening there. Um, so 
they they developed, I think, their sensibility for how they did things by working at Rusden and and, and with Rob. So um, in the end, you know, I ended up working uh, at uh, not Rusden at Rockford with Rob. I ended up working at um, Rusden with Christian, who was awesome, and I could just articulate what I wanted to do. And and I'm now I'm approaching the equation from the backside, right? I didn't go to winemaking school, but I basically drank everything great. Right. And you had that sommelier education. Absolutely. And then as a... Which sometimes the winemakers miss because yeah. they don't have the global sensibility. Oh, 100%. And Rosden, frankly, could have used a nicer label. Yeah. <laughs> well, You know, he yeah, could have used absolutely. some print shop skill. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yep. So those guys, uh, you know, allowed me to, to, to dream and do my thing and, and said, look, I don't, I don't know how to do a sulfur edition, but I know that this tastes really good and I know how it got that way. And that's how I want to approach the problem with these sand-grown vines. And, uh, and we were off. And that's, uh, and, uh, that's how we got into it. So you, you made the, the Riesling. You made the Hermitage uh, in red and white. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you made the two, two, maybe three Grenache bottlings. Two different Grenache bottlings. Uh, the Chronic. Bow, wow, wow, yippee-o, yippee-o. <laughs> and what was your experience? Uh, I mean, I think we have some idea because we all kind of lust after it, but making wine. But what was your experience actually trying to break into the market and sell that wine after you made it? What was that like? What was the other side like? It's hard. Yeah. It's really hard. I mean, for a small brand, you're, you're kind of not geographically focused. So it's not like you're like, hey, we do uh, Rhone wine. You're like, yeah, hey, exactly. I do Eden Valley Riesling and mm-hmm. I do this. And that. what was the people understood? People didn't understand. How did you grow your base? What happened? Yeah, people did understand. Um, they they did get that. They understood I was working hard, and I yeah. think that that was really appreciable. And, you know, there'd be times where you'd like, okay, I'm going to Australia for harvest, and you just go down and, and you do your thing. And then there'd be times like it's December, and I have to make a blending decision. So remember that four-day weekend? That's just enough time to fly out of Aspen to get all the way to Australia, to be there for a night, to do your blending, and to fly all the way home. And that's yeah. that's serious, right? Because you still you still have a job, you still got to go to work, right? And so that's that's not nothing. And people see you busting your hump, and you obviously care about it. So um, you felt like the goodwill carried you through. Like people were like, "Hey, I believe in Richard." Yeah, absolutely. And did you feel it helped you to have work in two different hemispheres? So it would be opposite times of year. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. That that was huge. And so you know, at one point we were doing something with Randy Lewis, doing something with with Jean Louis Shaw. Cool. And yeah, Randy's amazing. Most favorite people on the planet. Uh, so Randy, uh, Shab, and Rusden, um, and Sarah was the common denominator, and they'd all say, "Well, what does he do? And what does he do?" And oh, does he really? Do? And so it was this really cool, like triangulation. Sure. And so that's an amazing thing to be able to touch the equation in each of those places and see what translates and what maybe won't translate. That's that's a, that's a big wow. Yeah, you're like, okay, I'm getting smart right now. There's there's a lot of cool stuff happening here. And what was your perception of your own wines? And specifically, I always had the hardest time understanding the White Hermitage and aging. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the, what's the aging curve of that wine? Mm-hmm. If I were to find one, like, if what would you tell me? Um, I think it's the aging potential is really special. Has the opportunity to go a very very long time. I would qualify my opinion um, as I would qualify it with any wine, mine or anyone else's, and say, I love old wine. Mm-hmm. And the apogee of any wine, any wine is intensely personal. I love old wine, so I know that I, you know, I love old champagne. You know, I love these things. And some people are just like, oh my God, I hate old wine. So their apogee 
is going to be a, you know a whole different decade than mine. Um, so so I never like to say it's going to be best at X, Y, or Z. I always qualify it. And but say, do you find sometimes white run wines taste more mature in their adolescence than you might suspect, and then yes. later kind of come back around to a more equitable old age? And I, when did that? When when is the line for the wine that you helped make? That's a good question. So, um, hmm, I've had a bunch of of the 2006 vintage Hermitage Blanc uh, recently, and I feel as though it's starting to almost freshen up. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I felt like it wasn't as fresh two years ago, year and a half ago, as it is today. So it's it's a moving target. I don't, I'm not able to put you know real girders on it and say okay, sure first not. three years awesome, yeah. next three years bad. After that, you know it's going to be awesome. But but I, I do think you know it's it's delicious right when I bottle it. Or yeah. When when it, you know we I thought it anymore, so. Obviously, I followed that line for a while. That's cool. why I'm asking. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so I think at the outset it's great, and then I I do think couple years in it does experience a dumb phase and it and it feels almost heavy or oxidative almost yeah um but then somehow it like it pulls itself back together sometimes i think of those kind of wines as like kicking off the bottom of the pool like once you get to the bottom of the pool then you kick back up and you suddenly but there's that period where you feel like you might not ever reach the bottom of the pool the pressure is really heavy and that's the best analogy i've ever heard so anyways back to the hermitage blanc i i love the idea that, that you've uh, postulated here, that it's like the bottom of the pool. That's an awesome analogy. And you push off and you come back, and they do come back. And, and you know what's interesting is uh, one, of, one of the great joys was really spending time with the Schaaf family. You know, Who Jean- you bought the, you got the grapes from Schaaf, yeah. both white and red, yeah? Yeah, well, everything was made there. Um, and so it was just basically show up work, learn from Jean-Louis, and just, just absorb. And how did, how did your guys' personal relationship you know, uh, what was that like? Because uh, he's kind of quiet, kind of focused, speaks yeah. with a lot of uh, like weight, gravity, and intensity. Absolutely. But he's also like a big energy ball. Like he'd bounce yes. around the room. Yes. You know, very fit. Yes. And exactly. you are voluble, but also very fit. Yep. And what was that? What did you guys take from each other? Uh, I think a lot of smiles. Yeah. And, and a lot of appreciation. Yeah. I mean, I think so. Um, a, a lot of joking and ribbing yeah. you know, of each other, which I think is, I think is healthy and good. Do you consider yourself like a guy's guy? Like with the boys, I consider kind of thing. myself a, a, a no, no. I don't. Okay. I would say gender neutral in that respect. All right, you know. Um, it just seems like you're often with the dudes. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, that's fair. I mean, and in that sense, I'm probably burning something off. You know, I think that that's you have the energy you need to get out, and they're around do. to do that with you. Yeah, like you oftentimes. can run with them and bike with them, and yeah, bound beers, whatever. Yeah. You know. Um, but uh, it, one of the, one of the things Jean Louis always liked to do is is uh, obviously drank a lot of Chav, yeah. sold a lot of it in Aspen because he's got a ton in the cellar, like uh, waiting to be drunk by uh, somebody. Yep, named Richard maybe. <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's how I see it. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but you know, I would always share. Um, we obviously bought a lot of it. I served a lot of it. I drank a lot. of it. How did you convince Jean Louis Chav to be like, hey, I know you make tons of money selling your own wine, but uh, why don't you sell it to me and I'll put it under a different label? Like, right. how did how did that conversation go down? <laughs> um, like, was it like with Luca Brazzi or like what happened? <laughs> what did you do to? It was a, like a, a you beat him at poker, or you're like, okay, to the top of the hill. Oh, I beat you. Oh, now you got to sell me some Hermitage. Exactly. You know? That's how it went down. Um, well, no, in all in all candor, he came to Aspen, and I had the uh, 
I had the Grenache project in Australia well underway. And um, I said, you know, I want to do something in the Northern Hemisphere. I'd love to get involved in Chateauneuf. Do you know of anyone I could work with? And he said, okay, uh, Richard, let me think about it. And I thought, okay, cool. He's going to think about it. And he took his sweet time. He thought about it for a whole year. And I didn't bring it up and I didn't ask again. And uh, and they came back to, to Aspen and said, you know, we've been... Um, been thinking about your question. And uh, we thought, well, why don't we just work together? And that's when I picked my jaw back up off the ground and out of the snow and fixed it back to my face. And I said, uh, yes, 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 please. Yes, thank you so much. And uh, that, was a, that was a really nice moment. Were you, uh, you knew his wife maybe, uh, her being an American and that was kind of an intro, like you guys yeah, I could... think I met his folks first, actually. Really? In oh, Aspen. Wow. Yeah, they came to Aspen. I want to say with Eddie... Gelsman, if that's possible, and um, and then Jean Louis, and then Aaron, and uh, I mean, I saw Aaron just the other day. Great friends, I love her. She's absolutely amazing. Kids are awesome, and you know, we were spending a lot of time there when uh, she had the kids, and watching them grow up is amazing. And our daughter is very fond of the place, obviously, and and uh, Mauve, Mauve, and you know, long afternoons just sitting up at the Chapelle and. Painting, drawing, whatever—just—it's—it's it's an idyllic spot. It's pretty special. Yeah, I mean, it's like when you look at that label, and it's like you know, found day. Yeah, and it's like a couple centuries ago. You're Six like, of wow. them. It's <laughs> amazing. Like, you know what I mean? How crazy is that? Father to son, almost six hundred years. A lot of pressure to have boys. A lot of pressure to have initials JL. You know yeah, what I mean? Absolutely. So, but at the same time, you never feel any of that gravity from them. Oh, yeah? Because I mean, sometimes I you do meet that. guys who oh, yeah. feel like intense pressure from their dad, who's yeah. now deceased, to do yeah. a great job. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that that there's a real, obviously, a real appreciation for just how special the whole thing is. But it's I don't ever feel like it's taken, I never get the impression that it's taken too seriously or, you know. That it's taken a toll on him? You no, know, it's just so human and... and um, it's natural. I actually, when I met him, we had lunch, and I didn't realize at the time because I was a retard uh, how m- much of a huge dude he was. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, because it was young in my career, I hadn't had many of the wines, mm-hmm. and he didn't carry himself that way. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd met guys who did. Yep. And so I was just kind of like, oh, okay, whatever. Shaf, yeah. that sounds cool. Yeah. And then, you know, later, it, you know, reading Kermit's book and this and that, yeah. it all sunk in, having yeah. a few bottles of wine. But at the time, he didn't give me any indication as the guy that this was a big deal of visit. Because sometimes cool? what some people do, you know yeah, what I mean? That's just humility, right? I mean, that's that's the most wonderful thing. That that really makes me appreciate someone. Yeah, that sense of humility is, wow. So you uh, sold the Betts and Shoulder Castle brands. We did. Yep. And was that the right move at the right time for the right amount of money? Uh, it wasn't really for the right amount of money. It was we couldn't make enough and deal with what it, all the logistics of the whole thing. You couldn't make enough, couldn't get it to everywhere we needed to get it to and wanted to get it to. And so we thought, well, here's a great opportunity to work with a partner that can help us, you know, get to the next level. Distribution. And, and realize some of these goals. Um, and so at the time, that made a ton of sense. And that felt really good. And it was exciting. Um, you know, for one reason or another, uh, we didn't um, end up having commensurate ideas of, of how it was supposed to go down, but that's fine. You know, it's no one's right, no one's wrong. It's just different. Um, but when it's done, it's done, right? And you can't unknit 
that sort of stuff. So it's uh, so it is what it is, and um, and it's theirs. It's it belongs to them. And so I does it feel weird having their your name on their project? No, I never got hung up with that. And I'll tell you, I heard. Uh, I'll preface this by saying we did not get paid like Dick Arrow, like Dick Arrowwood did. Um, but I remember reading, and and I, I could have this wrong, but I, I have this memory of reading something in the Wine Spectator where Dick Arrowwood was was whining about how, pardon me, Dick, I apologize, maybe wine is not the right thing, but that's how I read it, complaining that he had sold his name and and just how much that hurt. And I was like, didn't they just give you like twenty-seven or was it even seventy-two million reasons to get over that? It's like save it. Like I, I what's in a name? Ego. So get over it. Like go do something benevolent, like help somebody, do something else. So our, obviously we're not at all on that scale. But I also, when I, I read that, and that was at least 15 years before. Yeah, that had to be a while ago. It was a while I bet ago. a lot of people listening to this don't even know who that is that okay. you're talking yeah. about. You all know right. what I mean? So it was a long time ago right. when they sold to Mandavi. And, and I just remember reading that. And just, I, had no, I didn't even know I was going to be in the wine business. But I just read yeah. that. I was like, that's a really weird way to think. And it's not about the money. It's about like what, what, what's in your name? Like, who cares what's in your name? It's like, what are you smiling at? That's what I'm interested in, you know? So I've never had that hang up. That's that's never something that's bothered me. Um, I, I'm here. I'm here talking to you and looking at Matt and drinking a glass of wine. And, and that's, what, that's what's important. Like, I don't, you know, never, never got hung up on it. And you were involved at the time uh, already with the Mexican Odyssey of Sombra. And how yeah. has that progressed along and what's that been like? That's been awesome. And I, I like to be up. And I appreciate everything on the back bar, but I think only agave-based spirits are uppers. Oh, okay, and, okay. And just, you know, try you, out, you, try When you have those, do you feel a certain way it, that you enjoy? Real different, different than everything else. And so I thought, you know, I want to make some of this. And um, went to Mexico and looked around and we looked at tequila and got immediately bummed out um, because it's it, to... Of the plonkness? And the plonkness, you know, the vodka made from piñas, essentially. Mm -hmm. And when I, in anything that I, I drink, I look for a sense of place. You know, I think that you, I think Jancis said this, you know, one of her PBS series or whatever it was, those DVDs I watched or betas or whatever they were way back, way, 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 way back when that, you know, in every wine, there's an opportunity to understand a people and a place and a geology and a geography and a history and a cuisine. And, you know, I'm not sure if she used those exact words, but that that's, you know, the articulation that I remember. And and that's what I look for. It's that sense of place. Even right? in a distillate. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I if mean, not scotch, more is, so. scotch is a great example of, of how that, different that can be. Just sure. look at the different regions and, and how that affects it. And so I'm looking for that. And we didn't find it in tequila. So, you know, long story made short, we end up in Oaxaca. And mezcal, I think, can embody all of that in spades. And um, so we're starting a mezcal project. And people are like, you can't do that. It's illegal. Me mescaline, it's a drug. It's illegal. And like, really? People told you it was illegal? Yeah, well, they thought it was mescaline. They didn't oh, know mezcal when you're trying to bring it into the country. They're like, oh, it starts with M. That's illegal. Oh, not Methamphetamine, not mescaline. <laughs> yeah, just just kicking off the project. People were like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm, I'm making a, a mezcal. You should have told me you were bringing mescaline greens. Exactly. There it is. <laughs> so... Um, that was that was that time when you know that is this is even that long ago, um, eight years ago, and people are like mescaline. That's illegal to now like, 
oh, mezcal, doesn't that have a worm in it? And then you got to like go through that whole discourse. Right, right, right. And I'm like, no, it doesn't have a worm in it. You know, the crappy ones do. It covers the flavor of the bad distillation, gives it a sense of bravado. So you drink it, right? And of course. And then like, oh, did I throw it up in Tijuana? And like, it, you're right, you probably did. But, you know, true great mezcal is uh, it's one of the great spirits of the world. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's the indigenous and important spirit of Mexico. Um and so we so associate with a particular spot, Oaxaca. Well, but. five states, two territories. Um, so you can make it in, in several places in Mexico. I think Oaxaca, for for my palate, is where it reaches this apogee. And remember, I I said I would drink it all if no one else does. So um, so we make it where we think it's best for us. And and uh, so now we're we're down the road making the stuff in Oaxaca, and um, you know, better part of eight years into it, and it's going great. Um, We've gone from that time when people didn't know what it was to, and there was no category to having helped create a category along with people like Delma Gay. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Ron Cooper's been doing it for decades, and he's a grandfather for sure. He deserves all the props in that respect. And do you guys feel like you kind of approached the marketing different than he did? Oh yeah, totally. You know, I mean, um, and and that's that's deliberate for lots of reasons. One, I don't want to step on Ron's toes. I mean, he should own that whole single village thing. I I want to make what I perceive to be the very best mezcal. And and again, there's there's lots. Of, everyone's got a different best, but I think that we can we can bring rigor to this process from our wine backgrounds that um, is maybe ha hasn't been seen before in, at this in this process. Um, what I meant by that is, do you feel like you reached a different market? So thus, you brought more awareness to mezcal because he was yes. hitting one type and you were hitting another mm -hmm. type, and the bar was getting raised across the board. I think I think that that's fair to say. Yes, yeah, I do think that's fair to say. I also think, um, you know, it was it started as a very small, you know, group of, of aficionados and enthusiasts to start, um, but now you know, I was, I was sitting at the Intercontinental Bar in San Francisco. Um, a few weeks ago, and you know, the business person's hotel, and I just looked across the bar, and there's a bottle of Sombra. I oh, was yeah, like that's awesome, the right? Continental so, boy, I know that one. That's the one with the picture windows at the top, uh, yeah, yeah exactly. Like so, uh, yeah, and just like that's cool, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. that's that's really does that give you a sense of satisfaction? A huge sense of satisfaction because it's, you know, I feel that way about tomorrow when I look, I'm yeah. like, you know, I was a part of building that, you, you were, and that's yeah. awesome. The, I mean, isn't that neat? Bar. Isn't that neat? Yeah, no, it's for me, it's a huge satisfaction. Yeah. And I'll tell you about it if we get really drunk and then you'll hear about it so many times that you'll want to hit me. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm not a violent guy, <laughs> but I hear you. Um, so that is, that is exciting because it, it's something, it's, really good work, but done by a lot of people in Oaxaca. And we think it's worth knowing about. It's worth sharing. It's it's appreciable. And I think that if people want to drink the authentic spirit of Mexico, then that's what they ought to be drinking. So so yeah, when I see it in all these different places as we do now, it's, it's an awesome feeling. And as I was telling you the other day, I feel like just from a casual observer, person who's, who's followed it for a few years, that it's gotten better. Like yes. the taste. Yeah, uh, thank you. Why might that be? Or am I just imagining that? No, you're, I think you're exactly right. Um, it comes back to the control freak again. <laughs> Let him back out of the box. Um, you know, you, you, you can approach distillation a number of ways. And, and uh, have, have you ever made beer? No, I haven't. No, right. uh, not intentionally. <laughs> right. There you go. So, you know, I've made beer and, and uh, just, you know, dorm room beer. But if you just give it the stink eye, it goes bad, right? And so wine, a little higher alcohol, you can beat it up a little bit more and do more to it and it doesn't go bad. But it's still pretty fragile stuff. 
But you can take a heaping, steaming pile of garbage and distill it, and you will make booze, and people will drink it. Um, it's frequently called grappa or mark. Um, and uh, you know, not to say there aren't good grappas or marks. I, I, I enjoy certain varieties. But, um, but the point is you can kick in the teeth really well and still make booze. And that doesn't feel good to me. That feels bad. And so when we look at, at the process, they're just things that we naturally want to tweak from really just m- keeping the process moving. I mean, the design is to keep it moving, but you know, maybe for a variety of reasons, people don't always keep it moving. So we're really focused on keeping, keeping things fresh, if you will. Um, I'm also really focused on storage. Um, you know, if you're in the middle of nowhere down a dirt road and you know, resources are precious, chances are you tied a plastic vessel to the back of the bus that, you know, took it back to town and that's what you store your spirit in. Well, you know, we don't like to drink water out of water bottles with BPCs or whatever they are. And, and I'm, I'm down there going, this is a hundred proof spirit and it's a hundred degrees out. I'm uncomfortable with that. That's the not, leaching out of the yeah. BPC. I, yeah, true or imagined, I'm uncomfortable with I it. I can taste it just on a bottle of water. Absolutely. Like when I have a, I mean, the the biggest test is actually have to put wine in a plastic water bottle and it's, taste it yep. and see what you think about that wine that you know well. Yes. Because the taste will be radically different. It, and, exactly. And it's not just mental. Right. It's oh. actually taste different. So I'm glad you I agree. think all water is probably screwed. So that's scary. So that's not acceptable to us. So we do things like put stainless steel on the end of production and stainless steel uh, vessels for storage on on the end of, of bottling, and you know take all these little little steps. Um, you know the fuel source. You, know, you can use mesquite. It's very common. It's also very sappy. Makes for a very smoky, uh, potentially vulgar. I mean, depending on your perspective, roast. I I'm into a, a balanced and diverse and complicated whole, you know, in a good way. I want to see a whole spectrum of things, not just one thing, right? And so when, uh, where we are now, we use a, a wood a type called Encino, which is a type of oak and it burns You're hotter and cleaner. Man. Yes, exactly. I am the Encino man, exactly. But it burns hotter and it burns cleaner and it, it gives it the requisite smoke because that's the traditional process, but it also allows other things to shine in the rainbow, so these are, you know, as you say, all, all small things that uh, we've been able to change over time. Um, and it's added up to something that we're really, really proud of, really excited about. And uh, at some point you said to me, hey, you know, I started to feel like I was becoming the stale sommelier and I didn't want to stay yeah. at the Nell and I needed to hand over the keys and give somebody else the opportunity. Absolutely. And you did do that. Yep. Uh, and what was that like? That was amazing. Uh, it took like years actually to figure out a normal sleep pattern or like, yeah. you know, a not nocturnal sort of existence. Um, and even now I lapse back into it really easily. I, I, you know, give me two events and I'll at night and I'll be sleepy the first night and the next night I'll be on and I'll be ready to play and, and I'll just be, I'll be in that groove. Right. You know, it just becomes part of your DNA. And your wife works during the day? Uh, you know, she homeschools our daughter. Um, she plays a lot of music on her own and taking some photos and, and doing all kinds of cool stuff. But um, they are not night hawks like I am. So it's probably, I don't know, I'm not sure where, what, that, what that means. But nonetheless, it's, um, it was a trip to get off the floor. Um, 
there are parts of it I really missed. Um, I would say there are parts I still look at very fondly. And I would actually say I miss them, except I don't because I've filled that time and I expend that energy doing my other projects. Um, but, you know, once or twice a year, I find myself in a situation where you work service for some charity event or sure. or something. And that's La really, Yeah, you know, yeah. amongst other things, together. it's yeah. really gratifying. It's really gratifying. It feels really good. Um, and it's fun to be on the floor and fun to be, you know, back working that synapse. You know, you're in that, you know, you're in that pocket. But you had to enjoy that, like, first time ever going out for dinner on a Friday night to a restaurant you didn't work in. That <sighs> must have been a, a great feeling. It was huge. And it was also a great feeling. Um, it, was, and it was a tweet also. It was like, it's Thanksgiving and I'm not working. Yeah. I just tweeted, you know, all my friends in the, in the service industry. <laughs> How do you industry, make stuffing? Right? <laughs> you exactly. Know, never done this before. Yeah. Um, but it was, you know, big thank you to like all, of, all just like, hey guys, how are you guys working today? Like, thanks, you know, appreciate yeah. it and feel That's it. That's a classy and, move. Uh, you know, it's heartfelt. So, um, you know, the thing I noticed about you, because I've actually taken care of you in a service environment before where you've come in for lunch or dinner, is that when you sit down, it's that same look that the kid gets when he's about to open the presents under the tree. Like you really enjoy that dining thing. Like I do. you love it. It's that same grin where you I are like, let's find something fun to drink. Uh-huh. Like, and you know, you want to open a bottle and you, I, th- I think I saw you put your hands under your legs one time. Cause you uh-huh. were like kind of restraining your, your glee inside of a kind of more formal restaurant environment. And uh-huh. you know, it's pretty cool to see like That's a guy nice. who still that. vibes on it. You know Oof. what I mean? The thing yep. that, that is that thing, you know. I, I love it. I really love it, and I appreciate you saying so. That's that's nice and um, well spotted. I, I am kid in the candy store. For well, sure. I mean, it makes it funner for everybody. That's you know cool. what I mean? Yeah, like absolutely. when someone's having a good time, it makes your job easier. To totally. Ha- yeah. Take them there. You know yeah. what I mean? I yeah. do. Isn't that fun? <clears throat> it's so fun. Because I'll definitely screw up if someone's looking for me to screw up. Like, yeah, that vibe will push me into that place. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do. So. Uh, you know, it, like for most normal human beings, I'd be like, and so that's, that's probably what you did, but you've actually got several other projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're doing a project of scratch and sniff books. Yeah. Uh, related to wine. Yes. And, and how late and how drunk were you when that idea came up? <laughs> <laughs> there are lots of things involved. Um, I was hanging out with a friend, uh, Chris Saka, um, who's uh, one of the most inspiring people I know. He's also one of the most fun people I know. Um, love him. It's just, just fantastic. And we, it was with Chris that this idea was born um, very late one night or early one morning, depending on how you, you count the chickens. And uh, we, were, we were in far northern Canada skiing and um, playing, of course. Um, that's how we got, got to be that, that moment of the, of the, of the day. And... Um, talking about wine books and, and this is almost four years ago, actually that uh, like, you know what, what the world needs is a scratch and sniff wine book. And that was it. You just like felt it go boom. Yeah. We got to do that. You know, and, and whether nobody buys it or, you know, a few people do, who cares? I mean, it's such a fun exercise. And so it's, um, you know, it's distilled down to 10 spreads, 20 pages. They're cardboard pages. It's like a kid's book for adults. And walk through what are the things you smell in wine, but in a way where um, it's not, there's no wine speak. I hate wine speak. You know, that's, it's, 
how do I, you know, as I look at, at what I want to do now, I, I want to help, as I said, everyone come to appreciate wine as this grocery, not a luxury. And, and a big part of that is making people comfortable with the topic. And a big part of that is saying there is no wine speak. Use the vocabulary you know. However old you are, you have that many years of memories based on taste and smell. Use those words. Use what you're comfy with. Get involved. Just, just start, right? Just get into it. So you definitely do that. Yes. What would you say to the person who's like, hey, Richard, when you talk about wine, I feel like I'm at a frat house, you know, watching like two guys who have college shirts on, like and togas rap about wine. Like, uh, what would you say to the anti-frat boy terminology about wine? Like, what do you what do you think about that? I'd say, you know, if they're drinking wine, then I'm happy for them. Uh huh. Yeah, good, good as long you. as you're breaking through boundaries, absolutely. And you communicated in a way that made that happen. Yeah. Then you're totally. comfortable with it. Yeah. Like I'm not a formal person, but that's, that's not a knock against formality. Mm-hmm, mm. um, it's, I do rail against formality if it keeps people from being involved. Mm-hmm. I will knock it off the pedestal and smash it. You know, I'm just not into that. Um, I frequently have that urge in formal situations. But if if it's formal and it works and it and it allows people to enjoy what they're doing, then great, enjoy it, have fun. Are there mm-hmm. dudes who talk what you might call formally that you admire? Oh yeah, I mean, tons of people. I mean, I again, I'm I'm equal opportunity as long as that person is being inclusive. I'm not accusing you. I'm just asking you because yeah. I'd, I'd love to hear the answer. Like, who are some of the writers that you do like to read? however they write. Well, I, I certainly wouldn't accuse him of being formal, but I'd put Eric Asimov at the top of the list. Uh-huh. Um, he writes for, obviously, venerable newspaper. Um, so I imagine that there's a certain amount of decorum that, that has to, to be maintained. Um, I love Eric's writing. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I try to read everybody, you know, but I also, similarly, I love The Hose Master. Uh-huh. He's hilarious. And I think that that's important because... Do you I mean, feel like a, sometimes he takes shots, maybe particularly at women, and particularly he maybe criticizes either people by use of um, resorting to body part or intelligence jokes that might be a little demeaning? I should probably read more, but uh, I, I don't... Um, I mean, you know, go back farther. I mean, I mean, relatively new to it in the last, whatever, month and a half or no, so. I agree he's hilarious. I just... I don't know. I don't know enough to say. I can't say yes or no. But I, but what I can say, the part I, I do appreciate is that I think that he's hit, and I'm guessing. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm only guessing on the part of Ron. What I feel is that it's helping us not take it or ourselves too seriously. And it certainly... Seems to be a huge audience for that because that guy gets like 40 comments per post. That's great. Like people clearly respond to. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, it's wine. It's just grape juice. I mean, our work doesn't really matter. You know, you want to do something that matters, go be like a nurse. You know, go take care of people. Like, and I think, I think it's important not to lose sight of that. It's luxurious what we do. You know, it's luxurious. What we do doesn't matter. It really, it really doesn't. It's very, self-indulgent and so yes we help people enjoy our lives enjoy their lives and we enjoy our lives and and it's it's all fun and and that's that's a gift to be able to do that but we shouldn't take it too seriously speaking about making luxury uh something that's not super taken seriously or not super uh unaffordable you've moved into the bordeaux 
realm and you're making a couple of Bordeaux that are more affordably priced, yeah. you know, in an area that's often thought of as a little bit stodgy, a little bit backwards, a little bit classic, a little bit, you know, all the other things. Uh, how are you approaching that and, and what was the genesis? Uh, the genesis is, uh, I'm, I'm, you can't see me if you're listening to this on your iPod or pad or phone, but uh, a lot of gray hair up here. And so I'm old enough to remember when people used to drink Bordeaux all the time on the regular. And that, uh, that's, I don't, you know, that went away really because of the Bordelais. Mm -hmm. You, know, they you just, think they priced themselves out oh, of drinkability? Oh, it was just so pretentious and foolish. And I mean, who, who, who invented that model? Why does it have to go up every year? You know, I mean, why? It's, what it's it's just it's, it's so bankrupt at at its foundation that whole that whole scheme i just don't understand it at all so i um i i look at that and i'm like you know it's no wonder america turned its back on you you know cne's done you know a lot of the big import importers and distributors are like we're over it you know it's not going to play and uh, and that's that's both sad and uh, I think a responsible response to what the Bordelais did. Yeah, they don't want to get caught holding a gigantically expensive bag. Oh my God! You remember those? Those? Did you ever get those sheets of everything that C and E had? Unbelievable in those, in difference those between oh. now and then. Unbelievable. Oh my God. I don't think people credit or don't. They don't. When they say, "Hey, Bordeaux's over," I don't think that they link up the decline of C and E to that as much as is actually the case. Yeah. Like there was a bankroll that put old vintages in this warehouse for a long time. Yep. Stored them for you. And then they were a Solera. They were in a Monsonista for yes. Bordeaux buyers. Yep. And they just held it there with no real, mm -mm. you know, need to make tons of money until it just became untenable financially to do anything like that. And probably it had become untenable a long time ago. Yep. But maybe they didn't notice because of the Burgundy thing or maybe because they just didn't have to notice. Yeah. But, and that went away. Yep. Surprise, surprise. Totally. And now no one wants to hold the bag. No one wants to hold the bag. Well, the Chinese held the bag briefly, so I think the Bordelais didn't take the clue. Well, I like, feel like earlier who held the bag was the tech guys, because the, they yep. were like, well, if there's tech millionaires, then we can still raise the price. And then they yep. were like, well, if there's Russian millionaires who are mm -hmm. oligarchs, then we can still raise the price. And then right. they're like, if there's Chinese billionaires, we can still raise the price. So it's like, if there's somewhere a billionaire, right. you know what I mean? Yeah, I feel like absolutely. it's progressed along where they just kept finding the the, the audience that they were targeting. And yeah. I don't know how long it's going to go. Like, I don't either. I don't either. But um, the... Uh, well, you know, then the Chinese turned their back on it too. Yeah, recently, this last year. You can look at the auction numbers for 2010, 2011. Oh, look, 2012 looks a little different. Yeah, you know it does I mean? look different. Like, oh, you moved to Burgundy in the Rhone. Oh. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Which is scary for other reasons. But so, you know, they've had their back. You know, everybody's turned their back on them now. Um, and it's also the largest AOC in France. So there's it's a lot of wine coming out of there. A lot of wine. It's oh the God. Sicily of France. I mean, except yeah. that they. You know, have castles and stuff, or whatever. You know, <laughs> they have ascots, I guess. right? They have ascots, right? <laughs> Dow Shounds. at least on the left bank. Uh, where, uh, yeah. Anyways, so um, I love Bordeaux, yeah. and I like drinking it. Yeah, and I'm I'm into that. So when I when I look around it at something to do, I'm like, okay, here's here's a cause that I want to champion. Mm -hmm. you know, so that that Bordeaux can be delicious. It can be affordable. You can drink it on a Tuesday night. You got twenty bucks in your pocket. 
I can be your date and it will be delicious. At least as, as much as I, as far as I think so. Did you feel like, again, there was a kind of opportunity because uh, there were sources of wine that were being ignored and you went there and talked to those people and brought it to a market where you felt there was an opportunity to sell that, much like the old fine Grenache? Absolutely. So, I, I mean, I have... I have enthusiasm for so many things and I watch these, you can't see it. They're sort of like tracers only. I can see these rockets take off and you're just like, oh my God, I love that. And oh my God, I love that. And I love that. And, and similarly. Are you watching Apocalypse Now in 3D right now? I am. So what's going yeah, on? totally. Exactly. Similarly, there's another curve out there and it's the, it's where does enthusiasm intersect opportunity? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's, I think, a smart place to work, regardless of what you do. You know, regardless of what you do, you should work at the intersection of enthusiasm and opportunity. And while I might be enthusiastic about Grenache and the Baja Peninsula right now, for a variety of reasons, I don't think it's a great opportunity at the moment. Mm -hmm. And so it's not where I'm going to go. You're not going to fall on a sword just because you're interested in it. Exactly. Yeah, well said. So... I, I mean, I, I truly love Bordeaux. I've drunk so much great Bordeaux and I really look forward to more. Um, but then I also see, okay, here's a chance to get, look, I can walk right in the sandbox. Look, the door's open. This is great. Let's do something cool. And, um, and so that's why I'm there, you know, and, and went and talked to a bunch of different people and have found my way in, into uh, being able to work with the Tianpont family, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. you know, venerable old family. Sure, and, I mean, you should toast right? Yeah, to start, you know, and so um, very, make very, I think, classic soil inflected wines. You know, I, there's no spoofulation. I've never seen a RO machine, you know, reverse osmosis concentrators, any of that sort of stuff. It's it's real fundamental, and and that's what I like. And again, back to the idea that wine should reflect place, at least for me, if I'm going to drink it. And so, uh, so we've kicked it off with a couple wines. One from the Cote de Franc, which is uh, you know just extension right out of Saint Simeon, about 10k. And they had an estate there, right? Well, it started with a P. Uh, Puigero. Yeah, I used to pour that. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Yeah, yeah good no, stuff. they overdelivered. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, one of the one of the really nice things. I mean, they're big family, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. Belgian originally, and and so with you know, gosh dozens and dozens of brothers and cousins and sisters and and so on and so forth so the the extent of the family in the wine business is it's huge and importantly it's like one great collective quality driven mind so the thinking at Le Pen or VCC is the same thinking and the same rigor that's brought to Puigoreau or Peyroutard or Larcis Ducasse which they're managing or any of the stuff that they're working on, they're like, we know how to do this. This is the way forward, and and it's awesome. It's not like, well, this this is the big deal. Palmerol spotter, the big deal, whatever. It's like, it's all a big deal, and we can make it all great. And do you think what you bring to that picture is just kind of a, an understanding of the New York market or the American market? Um, it, what I bring to that picture uh, is a desire to make a specific um, style. Mm -hmm. And importantly, you know, you have to find people that have a commensurate vision um, and people that have an appreciable style. I mean, there are lots of you know, technocrats that say, you like X, I can make X. But if they're not passionate about X, X is never going to be amazing. Mm. And and I'm I'm 
want to be very participatory in the whole exercise from start to finish and really dictate like this, this has to be what I want it to be. And I know what I want it to be. So I'm going to work backwards. You work forwards. Let's get there. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that's because we're so similarly aligned philosophically, that exercise becomes possible. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I mean, I feel very, very at home with them. And you've released two wines now. Yeah, two wines. First vintage, two thousand ten. Um, nice one to start out with. Yeah. Oh my right? god. Like, I mean, right. And it's it's not just like a good one. It's one that it's a real you know focused vintage with great tension. It's like everything I would want every year, which I know we won't get every year. Um, that's part of working in France, part of the deal. Um, but it has you know it's not it's not just like big and blousy. It's got real focus, mm-hmm. and I, and I think it really refre- reflects you know, tertiary things, which I like. Um, so we made the, uh, what's called Carte Verte, which is the um, Cote de Franc wine, which is actually 100% Merlot. Okay. Go figure, right? You know, I love it. I don't I care remember about remember when sideways. people used yeah. to come up to you and be like, I want to drink Petrus, but for $100 tonight. And you used yeah. to hear that 30, 40 times a night. Exactly. Remember when everybody used to love Merlot? Uh, amazing. Full page ad. Totally. Moyex Merlot. And people like, I want to try that. Isn't that amazing? Right? You know how different it was? It's so different. But um, this is done you know, entirely in a, in a cement tank because the Cote de Francs are actually, in, it's a nat- the grapes that are produced are naturally tannic. So it doesn't need oak mm-hmm. to become you know, more tannic or even to flavor it. Is that, is there clay in there or why is that? Uh, it's clay over limestone. Okay. So that's a classic. Yeah, yeah exactly. For, no. Yep. Um, and then we make a wine in uh, Santimion. It's just Santimion Grand Cru. Mm-hmm. Um, and what do you think these wines are going to hit the shelf at? The uh, Glen um Carte Verte should 1999 at retail. Yep, retail. And then I'd say the Santimion Grand Cru should be probably 34.99. Mm-hmm. And and that seems pretty like doable for the market. Absolutely. I mean, so on a wine list, you're looking at like, you know, 45, 50 bucks and 75 bucks, 69, 75 bucks. I mean, that's a pretty sweet spot on a wine list in New York or anywhere, really, frankly. Anywhere. Um, yeah. I mean, if the wine's it good. It could be the high end of some places and the exactly. low end of other places, yeah. but it's still at the end. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, not, ultimately, it's not, up not to, there. to whoever's drinking it to decide. But if it's good wine, then, you know, you're in the mix. And, and there's not a lot of Santimillion that's rocking that price point. No. That you see, that's not terrible. Totally. You know what I mean? Totally. Or heat damage or something. Yep, exactly. And pr- pricing is, it, a lot of it's just artifice. You know, it's like, well, uh-huh. I think it's worth X. My neighbor's getting that. And- it's like, who cares? Mm-hmm. You know, I, my goal is not that. It's like, I think you should drink this now. Does and that bring so, it back to that wine as a grocery thing? That's it. That's is it. Is that a return to, I mean, because the yeah. Betson Shoal wines weren't the cheapest wines no, on the shelf. Weren't. No, You know, I mean, the Riesling was cheap, but the, mm-hmm. the Hermitage was Hermitage. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So in that project, we were between... 20 and 80. Um, and, you know, that's just a function of, of where and what we were working with. Sure. Yeah. Um, and here, that that could be true too, but I think that, that because it's so big and it is where it is, there's room for more elasticity. And I claw that back and basically give it to the consumer is, uh-huh. is the tenant. That's kind of like what you did with Batch and Shore, where you weren't necessarily paying yourself right away. Uh, exactly. And I guess what we skipped over was the collaboration with Bobby because, you know, he has been a big thing in your career mm-hmm. and your friendships yeah. and I know you guys are close and you guys started Scarpetta together and that's an endeavor he still continues and what's Scarpetta and what, how did that come about? Scarpetta is um, that was going to be the name of the restaurant if we if my wife and I ever decided to open a restaurant in this 
predates the existing scarpetta yeah, yeah, here better, in New York by you a lot. Have a conversation with Scott. Well, this is 20 years ago. Was yeah. this thought? You know, another one was Iki Cheche, which I think is another good Italian expression. I don't know what that means. What there is, there is. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, Iki Cheche. Boy, somebody used to say that to me a lot. A waitress. Yeah, they should be like, "What there is, there is." Yeah. It was like a Yoda thing or something. Uh-huh, yeah. Exactly. But scarpetta is like that piece of bread, and you put the that the last bit of sauce, and you yeah, grab it, it with your bread. It means the sole of your shoe, and it's and it's. But it is that action, you know. That's you know, scarpetta is a verb, is because it was so damn good. You break off the bread and you sop up that last bit of sauce. We're like, you know what? We're not going to open a restaurant, so let's use this name for the uh, for this wine project. And you put a pig on that label, and you have a pig on your Bordeaux label. Yeah, completely uh, unrelated, totally incongruous. The Bordeaux label, the pig is Sanglanglan, mm-hmm. right? And that means when pigs fly. Sure. That's how you say it in French. So you got to have a pig. So when you do the Jupiter project, is it going to be like pigs in space? Exactly. Like, yeah, oh, my God, no. we just watched all that stuff over Christmas. It's so great. Pigs in space is the best all-time classic it's, of all-time ever. It's amazing. I'm going to do, do a pigs in space wine book. Actually. I think that'd be yeah. awesome. You should. Totally. <laughs> the only problem is pouring in zero G. But once you figure that out, you know. That's, yeah, that's a really good question. So there's no that's thing at all like, hey, bacon's popular and I'm going to put a bacon label. Oh, God, no. Okay. No, I mean... Yeah, we just used to double joke, checking. Just we used check to in. joke about the face sausage, right? Your face sausage. Right. It well, feels like you're always fed face sausage. One and, of your dudes uh, has that as his thing, right? The yeah, chef. Yeah, Ryan. <laughs> exactly. And in Friuli, it's like the home of this sausage that's cut real thick, and you're just like, God, is this even cured? You know, because uh-huh. it just like crumbles. It's weird. Um, and it's delicious, mm-hmm. but it's definitely a first trip. You're like, whoa, this is like some intense eating. And it's been a long time since you made the first trip to Friuli because you've been there numerous times. Yeah, a bunch. I love it. Um, How many American voices do you hear on the road when you're there? Uh, only the ones I'm traveling with. It's still like that, huh? It's still like that. Because that's also a huge wine production area. There's uh, a lot of wine that comes out of Friuli. I, I love it there. Mm-hmm. I would love and uh, I, I would really tr- a dream is to own a Sauvignon Blanc vineyard there at some point. It just, just, it just doesn't seem like not possible given the sense I, of who, who makes Scarpetta and what else they make. And I think it's very make. possible. And I think it could even be in Slovenia. It could be across the border. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but I would argue that that's, that place has the potential to make, at least for my palate, the greatest Sauvignon Blanc on the planet, on planet Earth. Mm. I've, 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 I mean, Seoul is amazing, and yes. I, I love Sauvignon from there. But uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Styria for Sauvignon. Mm-hmm. I got to say, but yeah, no, I hear you. I yep. hear you. I yeah. mean, obviously Loire, but yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know. I think you need some old vines, and I think sometimes Absolutely. people aren't rocking that, so it's hard to know on I, this I agree side. Maybe totally. if I hung out there more, I would find the old vine bottle. And yeah, it's you know. hard. It's really hard. But I do like Seoul. Yeah. Oh, it's it's great. That and Miani are for me like the two greatest white wines of Italy. I think that says a lot, like stylistically, mm-hmm. what oh, your, your, you know, what yep. your, the models are. You yeah, know what I mean? Absolutely. You know how people are like, hey, Parker has 45, right bank. Yep. And, you know, if you're like, hey, I like Miani, I think that says something to what the palette is. And Absolutely. You know. Yep. I'm very comfortable with that. Yeah. I'm not trying to pigeonhole you. I'm just yeah, trying no, to. No, I'm, I'm, I'm super comfy with that. So, and I agree with you. Um, so, Scarpetta, uh, you know, Dennis and I had Betts and Scholl rocking. And, yeah. And, um. And Bobby and, was like, hey, you guys seem to have something cool going on. And us too, the same, by the same token, we're like, we have this really interesting approach to the wine business. And it's not, you know, go swing your ego out there and spend a bunch of money and build a monument to yourself. Because people were doing that. Oh, God. Like, well, was, you know. I'm going to get Frank Gehry and we're going to have floating things on the wall. And, Voila. Yeah. Yeah. So 
Um, I, you know, that's just not not what I'm trying to do. So we um, we thought we could take this and enable other people with their own dream, identity, you know, enthusiasms, aesthetic, to do something. And so it was natural to to um, talk about this with Bobby and Lachlan. I mean, those guys have just the greatest Friulian moxie out there. I mean, they're really, I, I think they've been... I think he had tremendous balls to do what he did. Absolutely. Like, to go regional way ahead of the game. I mean, it was like him and A16 were the only two people doing that. Absolutely. Like, you know, people were like, hey, I'm going to do pan-Italian. Absolutely. Everybody was pan-Italian. Oh, maybe it's Roman Trattoria, but we'll also serve you this. And totally. Like, from Naples, and you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And he's like, hey, no, I want to, like, theme it out, and I'm going to leave maybe the greatest wine gig in the world to do it. Yep. You know? Because I want to be next to my wife's family, and yeah. I think it, you know, it's not do, so different from what you're saying. Like, it's hey, huge. that seemed like a joy to me. You know oh, what I mean? Absolutely. I'm into those wines. I couldn't. It's hard to sell those wines if you're not in a place that fo- showcases them. I agree. You know what I mean? Yeah. Absolutely. People aren't coming into the four star place being like, hey, what's good from Frulli to go with this? Totally. Foie gras, and you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh my gosh, absolutely. So, um, you know, they've they've really they've geeked out on it in just the most authoritative way. I mean, uh-huh. they, they know it so well. Um, it's commendable. You know, there's, there's so much to learn from them, you know, as to what the whole thing's about. So um, so we, uh, you know, uh, looked at what we had done and how that sort of um, model would be replicable with what they wanted to do. And, and that's how we started uh, Scarpetta together. Um, and same thing, toe in the water. And as it gets traction, you put it all back and you build it and you build it. And, uh, and then it was big enough. And, and, uh, so it's time to like, you know, let, let the bird free. And so Dennis and I stepped back and stepped out and, and, um, and this was a project of Northern Italian whites. Exactly. Little rosé from Frilly, little sparkling, mostly still. Mm -hmm. And, uh, what was the focus there in terms of? Authenticity. Yeah, what you wanted it to be. Authenticity. Just like what what does Friuli have to say? You know, uh-huh. starting starting with Tokai, the autochthonous varietal of, of the place. And you're making Tokai and you're making Pinot Grigio and you're making a sparkling rose. That's that's newer. That that's come since Dennis and I have left and but the, the Timido, which is a sparkling rose, is delicious. Uh, right? That's my favorite one of the Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. Oh, was there something I'm missing there? They have uh, a tiny little bit of Sauvignon Blanc. Oh, they uh, do have which I would encourage everyone to Sells out quickly out. that one, yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's kissing cousins with the Ronca de right. stuff. So it's, exactly, um, and okay, so and that's the relationship that that's the exactly. the winery behind the exactly. And uh, it used to be like the Bianca de Jacopo stuff, like the mm-hmm. that stuff. Yeah, yeah. and uh, so here we are, and uh, you know, what's what's the future for Richard Betts? I mean, you got all these things that you've done. You've got all these eggs and new hampers, but not too many eggs and just one. And, yeah. you know, 10 years from now, if we have this interview again, what, what are you going to be happy about and what are you going to have achieved? That's an awesome question. You know, if, uh, I generally don't think in those terms. Um, I generally think day to day, but, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that, you know, Bordeaux is is thought of on, a, on the regular again. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That, that would be exciting to me. As an average um, dude one. Yeah, absolutely. I'm hopeful, but I'm also hopeful that it's thought of again, you know, in terms of, of an even more diverse wine world. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I stepped out of being a sommelier with not a huge love of what was happening in, the, in South America, but 
I can appreciate how much has changed. And, and I haven't followed it uh, by tasting it, but I can see how much it's changed. And, and I'm just using this as one example of like how much bigger the wine world's gotten. Now there's just like so much more great wine all the time. Loot from Chile is really like inspiring. I want to drink it, right? You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I'd like to know what you mean. I mean, I, I, I appreciate that it's gotten so big. And so when I think 10 years forward, I hope that that expansion continues. Mm -hmm. I hope that- um, So you're arguing for diversity. Absolutely. I'm all about that part. But does it seem like sometimes you're arguing for diversity in kind of a neoconservative way? Like I want you to go back to the regions and the grapes that you kind of are now dissing America. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I do. I, like, I, I'm, int I'm interested in- you know, indigenous. Um, I that's how I take a trip, right? That's how I get back to that moment where I can stick my nose in my in the glass and go somewhere. Because sometimes when I read what you're writing, because mm -hmm. you're writing for Forbes and other mm -hmm. other places, and I enjoy the fluid writing style that you have, and I feel like I'm along for a trip when I read your stuff. Like the, you take people on a ride. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just like. Uh, next question. And it's not like Paper Chase. I don't know if you saw that old show, mm -hmm. Paper I Chase. Did. Yeah, way back when. But. So, uh, I like the energy behind the writing. You yes. know what I mean? Thank you. Sometimes what I feel like is that it kind of feels like, hey, you guys haven't liked what I liked when I grew up for a long time, mm -hmm. and I'm bringing you back. And it feels like when the National Review used to write those things like the real Reagan record, and they used to be like, you guys all diss on Reagan, but actually he was great, and so supply-side economics is wonderful. It's kind of like a return to the classics in a kind of neoconservative Fashion. Yeah, I think um, I like you, you want to champion you know, wine tasting. Yeah, and you want to champion. I want to champion it if you're a wine reading professional through Parker through the lens. You know, I, understanding I, the lens. I would never say that everybody should do any of those things, but I I want to say, and I don't think you have. I think that you know the, the Parker piece I wrote because I don't want to just throw them out with the bathwater. I think that's just plain dumb. It's like, it's a tool. And if you're buying wine- Which is what you argued in the piece. That's, yeah, that was it. If you're buying wine, use the tool. You will do your job better. And you're probably not self-employed if you're buying that wine. You're working for someone else. Work harder for that person, right? You're lucky to have that job. The sommelier thing. Yeah. And you've said to me before, hey, look, sommeliers can blow an employer's well-being 8,000 different ways. Absolutely. By turning off customers, by yeah. making a wine list too obscure. Right. By- It's all about the guests. Be a little too high floating. It all comes back to the guests. And so, so like, yeah, neoconservative, maybe I have a, I have a, a, a saying that um, I'm going to write about in the future at some point, um, or maybe it's already happened, um, depending on when you hear this, but it's, uh, I, I, I love- what I think of as Venice cultural artifacts. Uh -huh. That's a term I'd like to introduce. And, and, and I think that- um, It means something to you that we used to like these wines and you'd like to share that to other our people. Our Pepe, again. I think, is a Venice cultural artifact. Sure, Paradiso and Manfredi. Yeah, man, those are important yeah. wines. And you've and, been behind introductions for both. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, so sure i'll take the neoconservative label i you know ultimately i'll tell you what what the piece i'm really uncomfortable with yeah. is that is that there was that moment when there were wines being made um let's just say on the tuscan coast okay and those wines tasted a lot like they you could put them next to each other and you couldn't tell them apart from something that was made in napa valley and you couldn't tell that apart from something that was made in australia and that was uh, i think a lot of people oh my God, are still I was so responding 
I was so Negatively afraid of to that. that moment. Oh God, I hate you know that what I mean? moment. I was so afraid of that moment because right. if that kept pushing forward, in the end, all we would need would be what? Four wines, a red, a white, a rosé, and a sparkling. Because they all taste the same. I hated that and moment. It's just and it's just like I used slit to your wrist. And oh. people wouldn't believe me. And they'd be like, no, this is from here and here. And be like, really? Because this sounds like the same story. <laughs> exactly. Because you know what I hated as a kid is my dad would forget that he told me the same story. Yeah. And he would tell me the same story yep. regularly. Yeah. And I would hear it. And I, I would start to finish it for him. And he wouldn't take the clue that he'd already told me the story. <laughs> and I hated that. Yep. And I hated tasting Cabernet that was one of three and tastes that you could have. Like this is the taste of the, with the red fruit and this is the taste with the dark fruit and this is the taste with the mocha. Yeah, you know exactly. And it got to the point where you didn't have to try the wine. You knew you could add up what you knew of the vintage and what you knew of the producer and you could just add it up in your mind and mm-hmm. you knew you could just nail it. Yep. And that made wine so much less fun and exciting oh, and interesting and mystic for me at that time. And I really yeah. railed against that. You and me both. But I think we maybe did it in different ways. And here's what I'm going to say. Yep. So one of the things that happens when I talk to MS uh, people who I respect a lot, there's a lot mm-hmm. of really smart uh, people, and you're certainly one of them, who have gone through the MS program. I went through some of it myself. And what I realized that I was talking to were people who really valued typicity. Like they were really looking for what was normal from a place. Right. And that was kind of the backbone of the program. Like we're going to look at from the legal side what's normal here. Right. Like the regulatory side of this is normal. That makes sense. And they would look through uh, that lens and be like, I want to have what's typical. I want to understand what's typical. I want a blind taste for what's typical. I want to have bankers. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to say that should be, that's whatever. And what I was doing was rebelling to the same thing that you hated at that time. But what I was saying was, I'm not so into what's normal. I really want things that are very unique. Right. And so automatically I went to a different thing. Mm -hmm. I wasn't about typicity because I didn't want to hear the same story that my dad had told me that many times the same way very fair and i was looking for things that tasted different yeah and for me boring became a flaw and i think a lot of ms people are like this is flawed that's flawed that's flawed yeah and my thing was like you know what boring and predictable is a flaw i agree with that totally and i think that's why we ended up on different sides of a recent article you wrote which you know that's cool yeah but i think that's how we ended up there i think that's probably very fair i would say um I think that's super fair, and, and I appreciate that. I would say for me, it's my my desire for that um, that sense of place doesn't come from that exercise, uh, the whole MS thing. Like you know, I don't, you know, much to some people's chagrin, I don't wear a pin. I don't talk about that part because you're supposed life. to wear the pin. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if you are or you're not. I, it's not my thing. I don't. I didn't do it to 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 get a badge or you know I did you it. You told me once you did it for you. I did it for me. You know I did it because it's like you know I I sign up for a race because I need to get fit. You know it's, I put pressure on myself, and I wanted to learn. So that was a good way to do it. But I think when I think about, I mean I know when I think about that typicity, I just want to go back to that moment where I remember that dinner and where she sat and what she wore and what she ate and and that's. You know, or, or whatever the moment is, that's why I'm I'm hungry for that stuff. You don't want the kids to disregard the benchmarks because they were benchmarks and they brought you through in a way yeah. that was valuable to you. Absolutely. Well, not they they brought me out of law and geology, you know, and and I and and more than that, they brought me to that place where I can reflect on and and see and taste and savor a history of a place and and. I would hate to imagine that 
you know, some culture would go extinct because of, you know, tastes and fashions and fad and irrespective of this last piece. I mean, just like in general, like I, I like the idea that, that wines speak of a time and a place and a thing. And God, that's just, that's just magic. But you know, for me, Richard, like reductive winemaking, uh-huh. that's the triumph of technique. Like, I don't think that that was historical. Like it, it's mm-hmm. not historical to make it that way. Like clean, glossy fruit, low temperature fermentation in stainless steel. Mm-hmm. There's nothing historical about that. So you can't go to the one that's 5,000 years old and be like, I'm getting so much more technique than anything in this wine because that was the one that was around before. Yep, I, but I, that doesn't make it better. I think they're poles and, and poles are never good places to hang out. You gotta like look at what's, I hear you on that. what's useful. So I would use a recent example of, I was in um, Southern Jalisco, just on the side of the Kalima volcano, purely because I had a I had a mezcal in a bar in Guadalajara and I was like, this is delicious. Where does this come from? He's like, oh, it's this guy, whatever, and he lives over here. And there's no phone, no anything. And it took us three months to find the guy, you know, and it was, you know, finally finding one town and the mayor of that town talked to the police chief of the other town. And these are towns of like, you know, 300 people maybe. Are they dangerous at all? Because uh, of the drug trade or no? I just try to lay low and, yeah, yeah. you know, just, I can see you I, doing that. I just that. look like a backpacker. I would be that guy that would definitely yeah. be. Yeah, I just try up. to lay low. Okay. So, I mean, knock on wood, we've been very safe so far. So, um, but I got out there and spent the day with these people and checked out what they were doing. And they were fermenting the, the agave for 28 days just because that's the way it had always been done. But there's a moment where it became more acetyl and that actually inhibits fermentation right and so it just became more and more acetyl after like day eight as Mm. they approached day 28 which is volatile exactly and then you can smell that in the final distillate and so if you're cool with that rock on if you want to always try to do better and better work what's better work and well that's that's subjective right but if you want to try to do better work i would argue that you would say okay what if we didn't just like hang out? And what if we did pull it out at eight days when we've gotten as much alcohol as we're going to get out of this fermentation and then we distill it and we avoid the whole acetyl curve? Yeah. That's an improvement. So in all, my mind. A lot of really cool distillate dudes are like, you need fresh product. You know, if you're going to make great eau de vie, you need to be having food that's it. not bruised. And, Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. Can you imagine Hans Riesetbauer out there and these guys in the desert? He'd like lose his, lose lose his mind, kill yeah, somebody, and he, they go for 12 smokes. Exactly. He, man likes to smoke. Exactly. So so that's what I'm saying is that I wouldn't, I don't go for the hyper technocrat thing and and I don't go for the Renaissance festival thing either. I I, I think that it's somewhere in the middle is the right answer. And of course the right answer is individual, right? And I get that like, you're like a well-rounded, well-balanced guy who can go for the middle. But is the market going for the polls? Like, cause I, I look at a market, I'm like, wow, it seems like people really want unique things now. They're not so much into the greatest, they're into things that don't taste like anything else. Are think, you fighting in a way, in uh, a stream where the market's a little different? I think when- Or is that just a weird New York I think thing? both of what we're thinking about is the smallest, tiny, of probably fraction of a percent of the whole. Uh-huh, because you is scary. tend to travel the world more than I do. Well, I also read those crazy industry newsletters where I, I read, you know, the stuff that gets written about is not my world. Like, I have no idea about these, you know- you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of case brands. And that's the stuff that like drives these markets. And and 
And that's all cool. Like that's not my world. I don't, I don't want to be a part of that world. But when you see that and you realize how many people it takes to take down that volume of wine, you realize what we do is it's just this itty bitty little piece of the whole. And that's just, you just go like, whoa. But I mean, doesn't it seem like grower champagne's a thing now? Like when I look around, I'm it like, should be. who it doesn't was... have any grower champagne? You know, everybody's got grower champagne. I agree with that. It used totally. to be nothing. Yeah. I mean, things can, niches can grow. Right? Absolutely. I mean, I totally agree. And you, know, and you can see Sombra on the back bar of a thing. It doesn't yeah. always have to be Cuervo. And, Thank goodness. You know, things can change. I mean, things have changed. I totally agree. And they, I hope they keep changing. Yeah. Grower champagne's a great example. I mean, how uh, nice is that? How terrible was it when we were just confined to like all these expensive choices of, you know, actually not all these expensive choices, just a couple expensive choices. And now you've got all kinds of great stuff that you know, doesn't cost like a car. Yeah, but I, I get neoconservative about that because I'm like, you know, Rotor makes good wine. It like, does make good wine. Why don't you guys give throw it the chance? Out. I wouldn't you know throw them out. I mean? yep. Like a lot of people are like, oh, you know. And I, I, I do think that there is some truth to certain dudes who could, you know, blend and have a more complex wine. You know what There's I mean? There's a lot to be said for that. But yeah. I, I certainly, I mean, <laughs> I, I took bullets for it early on. And, you know, I, when, it wasn't, uh, when it wasn't so easy or viable, I was selling it. Mm-hmm. And now that it's easy and viable and expected, I rebel against it. Yeah. That's, that's who I am. I think if we can always answer the question, the what and the why, what is it, why are we doing it, then that's the foundation for anything good. So let me ask you, now that you've said that, I mean, would it have been kind of neat if instead of saying, hey, I really think orange wine's lame and I'm going to make the Tecate reference, which, you know, is a diss, would it have been cool to be like, you know, I don't necessarily dig orange wines like that, but one way you can make them work at the table would be with this kind of food or if you decanted it or if you did this. Like, here's, here's a way not to dismiss it, but to better understand it. And if you're not into that, that's cool, but at least I gave you the tools. Like, instead of dismissal, like, understanding Sure. Yeah. Wouldn't no, I, wouldn't I, I, that but nice? I just not the flag I want to carry. And and I also feel like some of the other people I interviewed, I mean, it was also there were four four voices in the article, and I think some of them did that. And so as the guy that's gotta oversee the content, like you're gonna edit this interview, you know, you, you make choices that, to try to balance it out and make it one piece, right? Mm-hmm. And so it so hopefully it does touch on all that. You know, the photographs I do include, and I, you know, the one I did include was, you know, an example of a good orange wine. I think that was mm. the caption. Um, so there are some I like, but there are some that, that I don't like. And importantly, I didn't, I mean, to me, what was important, I didn't like name names. You know, like this guy's I off think that would have made it better. I, I, I think, think if you, because that like makes it less of a straw man. You know what I mean? If you're actually talking about somebody rather I, than that's saying not nice. like. That's not nice. That's not nice. Well, I, I, I think I, just, you could I, say, I couldn't do that. If I, I were if I were drinking this wine, this is how I would approach it. Then right. at least you're talking about a subject I can correspond with. But if you say, I, I you know, those wines like that, I'm not sure which one you're talking about. I can't even rebut that. You know what I mean? It's kind of like a sure. But you and I are going to do this like off off mic, and we're going to we're going to no. I mean, this is the end of it for theory. me. And I wanted to do it to your face, not over Twitter, not over some no, like fine. blind blog it. post. You know, yeah. you can respond. That we're here mm. together and I'm looking you in the eye and I'm saying I had some concerns about it. Yeah, you know I'm, what I mean? I'm comfortable with that. I'm, I'm very comfortable with that. And I think we can leave it with that. Thank you, Richard, for being here. It's a pleasure. Good to be here. It's, it's, it has been a pleasure and I, I look forward to hearing more about the success that you will meet with because I know you will. Thanks, buddy. Richard Betts on the show today. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. 
Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.